Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Romans 7. This morning we're going to be in Romans 7 in the New Testament. And the last time the message was titled Dead or Alive. And, you know, you have these, I tell you what, Romans is just, it's just built on foundation after foundation after foundation. That's why it's so important if you didn't get the message to get some of the previous messages or really all of them. So you can see the foundation that God is laying in his word. But Romans 6, Romans 7 definitely are joined together as we go through this study, but the message was titled Dead or Alive. So we could be dead to our sins or dead to sin controlling us and alive to God, or we can be just alive physically and dead to God. And this is the choices that people make as they go through this journey of life. Uh, And as Christians, certainly as you go through the message and you understand the power that God gives you, uh, that's there for the taking. You know, Bible literacy, you know, gives us real power to understand who we are, what God has given us in our arsenal or our spiritual weaponry and how we can use it. Uh, today, the message is titled, Know Yourself. How many of you are familiar with Sun Tzu, the great military Chinese general uh, strategist and author of the book, The Art of War? Some of you, okay. Sun Tzu wrote, he's 6th century B.C., he wrote that when it came to actual battles, and a lot of people have used his book over the millennia to actually effectively fight literal battles, he said it's more advantageous for us that if we're going into battle to know ourselves even more than we know our enemy. Ponder that for a moment. You know, a lot of people, when they go into literal war, country against country, they study their enemy. But to know yourself and your, your weaknesses, right, is even more advantageous and powerful. Now, I will take, that's worldly philosophy, cool stuff. But let me bring that into the spiritual realm. As well as Christians, it's also more advantageous for us to know ourselves when we go into spiritual battles. Because if we don't know ourselves, we go in kind of fighting blind. We should know the word, we should know God, and we should also know ourselves, So the Apostle Paul takes this information and helps us to understand, as Christians, sometimes the struggle that we have in our own soul on a day-to-day basis. So I believe that when everybody leaves here, you're all going to know yourself a little bit better as we study the Scripture. And we're going to look at this in five parts. So jumping in in verse 1, the Apostle Paul, this is contiguous, it's it's. You know, it's one letter. He says, or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, very important, that the law has dominion, God's word, the Ten Commandments, right? The law has dominion, um, and he's speaking about a different aspect of, of the law, over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband, and vice versa. A man who's married and she passes away, 
Okay, the same thing is true. So then if her husband, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Now, when you read Paul's works, especially the theological treatises in the scripture, you got to read it a few times, you got to pray about it, you got to read the whole context, because it's deep. It's very deep. So one out of five is dead to the law, but alive to God. Again, there was a context in the former chapter, but he's now comparing the law with respect to marriage law, right? The world can do what they want, they can change partners, they can do whatever, but if we are people of God, we should want to please God and really follow his prescription for a healthy life. So he's speaking about marriage law, right? But he's also uh, referring it or paralleling it to a relationship with uh, the law and Jesus Christ as two separate but distinct and successive husbands. Now, later on in 1 Corinthians, the, the Apostle Paul expounds on the only way really that, you know, people ask this question today. I mean, they're maybe having a difficulty in their relationship. Um, what are the ways that a person, right, can be free from their spouse? Well, he, in 1 Corinthians, he expounds uh, not only death, but also adultery, abandonment, and all these things make us free from this covenant. And by death, we prefer natural causes. Let me just make that clear. So when we study dispensations prior, right, the dispensation of the law sunsetted and acquiesced to the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, if we could turn to Galatians 3, right, this is amazing because Galatians 3 really puts the whole thing in perspective. He says, but before faith came, right, faith in Christ, we were kept under guard by the law, right? The Ten Commandments, God's word, God's law, and there were hundreds of them. Kept or confined for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor, can also be translated our schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. For, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, you see that simplicity in there? What did the law do? It revealed to us that we are such deeply flawed human beings. We're deeply flawed sinners. And what do we do when we read the law and realize, man, I can't measure up to this, God's righteousness. How, how am I going to ever get to heaven? What that does is it opens up a vacuum or a void. So when Christ comes, he fills that void. And we see that in the scripture. So Paul is very deep. He uses a lot of different analogies, sort of like Jesus did when he walked the earth, to help us to get this. All right, uh, chapter six um, tells us the, the previous chapter. When we were baptized into Christ, we were also baptized into Christ's death. So when we actually get baptized, there's a lot of symbolism there, and it's good to know the symbolism before you actually take the plunge, so to speak. But we were baptized into Christ's death, right? And we're we're dead to sin controlling us. Do we still sin? Of course we do. But that that oppressive, abusive uh, relationship with sin where it controlled us. So when we, we receive Jesus, we're, we're dead to that. We're freed from that. But we're also dead. Check this out. We're dead to sin controlling us. We're also dead to the law condemning us. Sin controlling us and the law condemning us. 
That's the beautiful thing about faith in Christ, how it achieves so many purposes. The law is good, but when we read it, we see that we fall short. So we actually are mentally understood that we are we're really condemned because we can't keep that law. So now we're married to Christ, and although we're dead to the law, we still want to please God. But it's a different relationship to the law. Of course, you still don't want to murder. You don't want to steal. You don't want to do these horrible things. And that's a good thing. But there's a different way now that we do it. Because our relationship to the law is different. And we're going to get to that. This is good stuff here. So verse 5, we continue. It says, for when we were in the flesh, right? The part of us that, you know, we were born with, the flesh, it's the sinful makeup. The passions of sin were aroused by the law. We're at work in our members to bear fruit to death. The wages of sin is death. We just read that in the last chapter. Sin does pay wages. It makes you feel good for a time. It deceives you. It catches you in a trap. And it pays wages. And the wages is physical death and spiritual death. Not good. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. You see the comparison there. Trying to do it through the law, the Pharisees, the old system. And then when you messed up, you had to bring your sacrifice. And and this constant machinations back and forth you never get out of that conundrum however now we we serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter or the law good stuff so two out of five is a new way to obey a new way to serve god right when the law came sin increased so how is the passion of sin aroused by the law because when the law came sin increased how well we went through this with the mirror Right? We look at the law, it's like looking in the mirror. Oh boy, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. You should be doing this, you should be that, you should be doing this. Oh man, I fall short. So it's a mirror. However, check it out. There's this fleshly desire when the law came. There's a fleshly desire to break the law. So let me just be real here, and I'm not advocating anything, but when you're on the New Jersey Turnpike and you pass the signs that have a speed limit, I see a lot of you are laughing, some of you have some lead foots in here, um, and you don't see any troopers hiding in the grass, what do you do? Well, yeah, well, we all know what we do, because if you've ever been on the Turnpike, if you're doing 65, people will run you off the road and give you the high sign while they pass you. You see what I'm saying? So we say, well, look, there's a speed limit, don't see any cops, <laughs> I got things to do. I'll give you another example, I don't know if... Only time will tell if I should share these personal analogies, but when my wife makes meatballs, right, I smell it, I'm doing different things, I fix things around the house, and like, that smells nice. And she says to me, now I just finished the meatballs, I put them in a pot, I covered them, don't eat any meatballs until dinner. (laughs) What do you think happens? And I do it quickly. I try to cover the evidence, put the foil back. I I have to repent. Um, (laughs) And then she comes into the the kitchen. You ever see that episode of the old Superman uh, movies? Remember when Clark Kent uses x-ray vision to look through the clear container and see all the gumballs and he counted them? She comes into the kitchen, lifts the thing, and she goes, you ate a meatball. (laughs) How would you know? But seriously, it's almost a funny thing where... (laughs) Is she back there? Yeah, she is. She's, she is laughing. That's a good sign. I wouldn't have known to, it, there's a part of me inside to eat that meatball until she said, don't eat the meatball. 
So we, we kind of, you know, does God's word know human nature or does it not? You ever, again, know yourself. Why do we do the things that we do? Why did I do that thing that was just wrong when I was just told not to do that thing wrong? You see where I'm going with this? So there's an aspect of, of the law arousing a desire in our fleshly nature to break the law. It's really sad. It was a, a through all these analogies, there's a, a true story about a hotel that overlooked like a pond and signs everywhere. Don't fish from the balcony. And everybody was fishing from the balcony. They got rid of all the signs and they found that there was less fishing from the balcony. Wow, don't fish from the balcony. Hey, Bob, let's bring our reels next week when we come back to this hotel. Folks, we are depraved. <laughs> but we can laugh about it. Verse 6, God gives us a better way. Now my wife is always going to suspect that I ate a meatball. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 31, if we could turn back to that in the Old Testament. This is amazing. In the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, we were already giving an indication of the New Covenant. The Old Testament was saying there's a New Testament coming, just so you know. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand. God, like, I, like little children, I took you by the hand, brought them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, my law, my commandments, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel and after those days, says the Lord. Now, remember, this Christianity was um, a fulfillment of, really, if you think about it, Judaism. He came to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So sometimes when we read the Bible, we, we, we read it with eyes of 2019, and we have to go back and we have to go into the Scripture. He says, I will put, and again, the, the Old Testament Jews were looking at this and going, probably saying, how could this happen? But God's like, watch this. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it in their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So this is almost like God saying, Human beings, you're just not cutting it. Here, let me help you. Speaking of Father's Day, this is what God does. We mess up. He goes, Here, let me help you. We don't have to let him help us. We have free choice. But he says, in essence, and I'm paraphrasing, I want to help you with this because you're just not, you're not doing it. So we now desire to not steal and not kill and not bear false witness, not because the law says you have to know this, but because we love the Lord and we want to please him. So in essence now, even if you don't read it, he's put it in our heart. Did you ever pray about something or, or do something and the Holy Spirit gives you a sense, yeah, it's really not good for you, you probably shouldn't do that. Maybe you don't even know where it is in Scripture. But the Holy Spirit is, he's working in you. He's working in you with your relationship with the living God. It's actually pretty exciting if you think about it. Now, this gets into a very interesting subject of legalism. Legalism. Legalism is where a person tries to fulfill the law without God. It's, you know, it's been said that I have an iron will and, you know, me and I actually listened to Chuck Smith's tapes and I read Warren Wearsby and I'm thinking, oh man, they try to do that too. Legalism is where now you become a Christian and maybe it's a, it's a, an early stage and you really try to please God, but you almost will yourself to do it. Now in the world, I could do that. 
I found myself failing miserable. The more I tried to will myself to please him and to follow his rules, the more I failed. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? Because if you think about it, we try to do it in our own strength. So the legalist, I always say this, legalism is an aberrant stage in Christianity. It's not a lifestyle. After a few years, the legalism should be worked out of us. It should go away because we start to learn more and we start to get closer with the Lord. Um, You know, legalists, I find, and they've passed through the church. They pass through every church. They become, they're very cold. They hold themselves, the Pharisees, they hold themselves to this, this stringent lifestyle. And they want to hold you to it too because really they're not happy. They don't have that freedom. They don't have that joy. They're trying to follow and will themselves to follow the Lord. And they want you to do it too. I always found that legalisms always try to export what they're doing onto other people. Legalists, I've found, turn people off from God the most out of anybody. Amen. You've, we've all experienced them. So here's one definitely experienced a few in his life. Uh, if I could read Warren Wiersbe, Warren Wiersbe's gone to be with the Lord recently. I just had to read this because it's just so powerful. In his book, Be Right, on Romans, on page 91, he just does it very succinctly. Remember, Paul here is addressing, in the last chapter, the licentious. Oh, Jesus died for our sins. Hey, let's party every day. Let's sin all we want because Jesus is covered. That wrong way of looking at it. Here, he's not covering the licentious person. Now he's covering the opposite, the legalist. Let's see what it says. The believer has an old nature that wants to keep him in bondage. Quote, I will get free from these old sins, the Christian says to himself. Quote, I determine here and now that I will not do this any longer. What happens? He exerts all his willpower and energy and for a time succeeds, but then when he least expects it, he fails again. Why? Because he tried to overcome his old nature with the law, and the law cannot deliver us from the old nature. When you move under the law, you are only making the old nature stronger because the strength of sin is the law, 1 Corinthians 15. Instead of being a dynamo that gives us power to overcome, the law is a magnet that draws out of us all kinds of sin and corruption. The inward man may delight in the law of God, but the old nature delights in breaking the law of God. No wonder the believer under the law becomes tired and discouraged and eventually gives up. He is a captive and his condition is wretched. The Greek word indicates a person who is exhausted after a battle. What could be more wretched than exerting all your energy to live a good life only to discover that the best you do is still not good enough? And just real time, I've had some that have come through this church, and it's like the eye of Sauron in the Lord of the Rings. You know, they're focused on everybody, and, well, that person's hairstyle, well, that person, I don't like their manner of dress. And they just, and I would be like, you know what, why don't you just befriend that person? They just came to church. Why do you want to chase them away? But this is what legalists do. They're a poor representation of Jesus Christ. So I had to throw that in there because he said right in the beginning, he goes, for I speak to those who know the law. He's speaking to his brothers and sisters who are still under that bondage. So let's continue. Verse 7. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would have not known covetous covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet that's interesting as a pharisee paul was a pharisee before he came to christ 
And the Pharisees didn't overtly hurt anybody, assault anybody, overtly rob anybody, murder anybody, or take another man's wife. Their sins were mostly inside. Remember, they're legalists. So on the outside, everything looked very Puritan. They're very pure. But Paul was saying, hey, your thoughts can betray you, and it's betrayed me in the past. So he uses this interesting word, covet, instead of the mind sins, instead of the overt sins. He continues, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire, from a, for apart from the law, sin was dead. So three out of five is, is the law cannot deliver us from sin. So he says, is the law sin, right? These are questions that he was asked. You know, the, the observer might say, well, Paul, you know, you talk about, there's an interesting relationship between sin, the law, our flesh, right? All these things uh, coming around. But we have to make sure we put them in the proper boxes and categories. So, well, Paul, are you saying that the law is sin because it seems to arouse bad behavior? It can't save us. It arouses bad behavior. And it's something that we need to be delivered from. Okay? No. He's saying it's run its course. We read, just read this in Galatians 3. The law had a purpose, but it's run its course. So, of course, the law is in sin. God, it's God's law. It's good. Don't steal. Don't murder. These are important things. And basically says, as a matter of fact, without the law, I wouldn't know that I was a sinner. Verse 8, apart from the law, sin was dead, or it's not yet revealed, right? It's not yet revealed. So I don't have any understanding of sin. I'm still sinning, but I don't really have an understanding or a head knowledge of it because it hasn't been revealed yet. Now, a few Sundays ago, actually, someone uh, recently this week asked me some great questions. They said, you should have been here last Sunday. He's new to the church, not as a dig, but just to go get the message. And we talked about babies, right? Baby passes away, perchance it goes to heaven. Why? Well, the baby still sins, right? When they come out and they don't get something, they scream, they throw tantrums. They're little sinners, except they can't do as much damage as adults can. But they also don't have the consciousness to understand that they are sinners. They're babies, for heaven's sake. So when a baby passes, Christ already paid for that on the cross. It's a very interesting concept. And I went into, you know, Down syndrome, full autism, uh, people who are adult in their form, but in their minds, they've never graduated more than three years, four years old, etc. God has covered them. That's the beautiful thing about God. He doesn't go... Oh, Gabriel, look, somebody fell through the cracks. What, what, what do we do wrong here? God has everything covered. And that's what I love about my God. He's a completely fair and just God. However, when we become adults, right, and we mature and we understand things that are wrong, our conscience, God, the, the conscience that he put in us, the, the reading of the scripture, the understanding of the law, or even hearing a street preacher, now what are you going to do with that information? You can't claim ignorance anymore. So it's a, it's a really good and fair system. Verse 9, he says, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion, now we're moving to sin here, let's parse the terms. Sin now sees an opportunity. It takes the occasion by the commandment, he said, it deceived me and by it, it killed me. Therefore, the law is very important, it's holy the commandment holy and just and good. Has then what is become 
what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So uh, four, I was scratching my head saying, what should I label the four out of fifth part? I actually wrote, uh, I hope you had your coffee and be complex this morning because this is deep. So literally that's what I wrote. I don't have anything super spiritual written there because when you read Paul's works, this is deep. And when we understand this, we know ourselves, right? We know ourselves. You know, uh, any given month, day, whatever, again, we might say, why are my relationships with people so strained? Why do I feel like I'm not close to God? Why did I set out to do this, which was good, but then I did that, which wasn't good? Why did I say that at that social event? I feel so stupid about that. Here's the answer. Here's the answer. So by the end of the sermon today, you're going to go home and say, you know what? I know myself a little bit better. Why? Because God's word reveals human nature. The struggle between the flesh and the spirit, the difficulties, the, 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 the separation we feel from God, it's all in here. This is powerful. So basically, what does sin do? What does evil do? It finds an opportunity to use something good against us. If we think about God's laws and his rules, what are they designed to do? Keep us healthy and well, mind, body, and spirit. But sin gets us to think what? That God's word is a prison. And some people do that. They don't understand. Why, why wouldn't God want me to do that? You know, it, it just, I had such, and we deceive ourselves. In, in Adam and Eve, we're told by the serpent, you're going you're gonna to be like God himself. You're going to know good from evil. Why would God hold you down and not let you explore that. I'll tell you what, you can take any sin, follow it to its logical progression and find that it will hurt us. You just got to be honest with yourself when you're actually following it out. Why can't I fudge? Why can't I, you know, take a little here and there? Why can't I, you know, fill in the blank? So God's rules are to keep us healthy. God said to Adam and Eve, hey, I love you. I set you free. You can make all the decisions you want. You're a free moral agent, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave them a choice. And Satan said, God's holding out on you. So, so let me ask you a question. Who was right? After thousands of years, God was right. Once sin entered the world, to use a mythology, uh, it was a Pandora's box that opened up, and you can't, you can't put it back in the box. What God did was he had to send his son to correct it because it's, it's out of the box at this point in time. The only way to do it is to wipe everybody off the face of the earth and start all over again. But God so loved the world, the sinful world, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Amen? I can tell you this, that I'm, I'm reading, and um, th- these are just facts. It's not for sensational purposes, but I'm an observer. I collect inf- data, information. I'm reading, well, it's everybody knows that you see this high rise of PTSD among especially young soldiers sent overseas. Why? Because they see such an amount of sin that they come back and it damages them, it damages them psychologically. Nobody disputes the high suicide rate among especially young soldiers who've been put into combat. 
I'm reading the paper. It's just one police department, New York City police. In two weeks, the third cop committed suicide. High rate of suicide among police officers. Why? Because they see sin all the time, right? They turn to different things and sometimes as an escape. We see, I'm seeing more, I'm reading about uh, counselors, anyone associated with the counseling field being damaged by what they're hearing from people who've been victims over and over, like they need, they need counseling themselves. Politicians who, who are running countries taking their lives. So you, what, what is, is in common about these four groups is they see an abundance of what human, the human race has done to itself through sin. So again, who was right? Go back to the garden. Why did God not want them to take of it? He wanted to preserve their innocence and ours. If I didn't become a Christian as a police officer for 25 years, saw a lot of bad stuff, still have the memories, I don't know what I would have turned to. Thank God that God was there for me to turn to him, for me to go to him with all my problems. And even now as a pastor. One caveat here is that when we teach our kids, as a pastor, when I teach the congregation, we've been doing a lot of Q&As. We do Q&As uh, once a month on Wednesday. We do question and answer uh, with the men's group. We've been doing it with the young adults group. We've been kind of like expanding it because, because people have questions, you know. Well, what about this? Well, why is this wrong? And these are good things to be able to answer those questions. You know, when I was a kid growing up in a denomination, I was just told by my parents, don't ask any questions. Don't question what happened in the church. They just be quiet. Children are to be seen and not heard. <laughs> so, but we take a different approach here because why? And people have those questions. They're not being rebellious. They're not challenging your authority. Why does it say this in God's word? Why doesn't God want me to do that? And I love to answer those questions because I had those questions when I was young too. You know, even as parents, when we tell our kids, should our kids submit to our authority? Don't run into the street. Don't touch that hot stove. Absolutely. But are we explaining to our kids why they shouldn't do that? Because like Adam and Eve, right? And, and God did explain. The evil one came and said to the, they, he gave a different alternative to why God says you shouldn't do this. It's just my nature. I mean, I would tell my son, you know, if you touch the stove, your skin will melt. You'll have possibly third-degree burns. We're going to have to take you to the hospital. You could be non-ambulatory. You know, you never touch the stove. It's just my, my unique approach to things. But I didn't want him to think I just was being a mean dad. Well, don't run into the street. Don't touch the stove. Don't do this. I wanted him to know why it was bad. Not because I was trying to be difficult but because or control him, but because I was concerned for his safety and his well-being. And folks, God does the same thing in his word. Why do we teach at Calvary Chapel book after book after book to educate you and maybe your coworker or your family member will ask you questions and now you'll be armed with that information to get into an in-depth conversation. Christians who are Bible illiterate usually are very short with somebody who asks questions because they don't have the answers and they're curt with them. Well, just because God said, well, just because, and we need to know our word. So we can share and we can love people and, and we can give them the answers that they're seeking. Because this world doesn't have the answers. But this word has the answers. Verse 13, he said, did the law become death to us? No, the law didn't directly kill us. That's not what Paul's saying. People ask that question. Sin t- 
took an occasion or evil. It twisted our relationship to the law, causing us to become lawbreakers and desire to be lawbreakers. And that brought death. So the law is good. But sin put enmity between us and God. So what did God do? Again, our great father, he said, let me help you again. I'm going to bring Jesus. You're going to be under grace now. Different dispensation. I'm going to do more of the work for you. I'm going to do the heavy lifting. Again, my paraphrase, God's saying, let me help you. As, as a father with, with my boy, you know, he would get frustrated with things, maybe some technical things. I felt, and, and his mother as well, I felt I was always there to say, let me help you. You know, I want you to turn to me. I want to help you. I love you. And that's the way God is. We, some of us just haven't realized that yet. Last few verses. This is heavy. Paul says in verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will, right, he's willing it, this key word, I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh. Nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. This is so important. This is especially important to the new believer or the believer who doesn't really know the Bible yet. Because some might take the walk to receive Jesus and they really mean it and they've really accepted him and they've really trusted him and then they find that their problems don't go away. A lot of our problems are self-caused, aren't they? They're generated from inside. And they think to themselves, you know what, maybe I'm not saved. Well, let's, let's see what the Apostle Paul says about this. I tell you what, as a, as a new, immature, growing believer, when I held on to this, and I'm going to talk about the conflict. Verse 20, now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, how I'm acting it out. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? me from this body of death? Here's the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ, O Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now I have to go to the first verse in chapter eight because eight is the good news. And I know we're going to cover it next time, but let me leave you with this. There is therefore now no condemnation, right? The law brought condemnation. It showed how we cannot please God, how we're not righteous, how we're not on a right standing with God. He says, though, there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, the old lifestyle, still sin, that old lifestyle, but according to the Spirit. Amen? So five is the conflict with the flesh and the Spirit that's going to be with us until we go to be with the Lord. Let me leave you with this to hopefully clear it up. We're born physically. We're sinners. We're born into this world. We sin. Jesus said you have to be born again 
Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. So we're born physically. Our spirit is really dead. It's not quickened. But there's no conflict. Why is there no conflict? Because with my mind, my body, my flesh, everything about me says, even if it's not horrible sins, self. It's all about me. All these books are written about self-help and self-this and self-that. That's great. There's no conflict. The next stage is if a person truly trusts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they're born again of the Spirit, trusting what Christ did on the cross, being sealed with the Holy Spirit. Our spirit now becomes quickened. It's alive. It's an amazing thing. That's why it's called being born again. You were already born physically. Now you're being born spiritually. Now there's a conflict. Why is there a conflict? This is why the preachers who say, oh, you just become a Christian, everything becomes wonderful, there's no problems, and and reality sets in and you're like, I'm not experiencing this. That's false theology. There's a conflict because there's still the old flesh, the old nature, the old desires, but now you want to please God. So in essence, you're, you're dichotomous, although we're trichotomous, but we'll put that aside. When we die... There's no conflict again. <laughs> That's the good news. Nobody's sitting here saying, oh, I want to die today. But there's so much, let me just say this, when it eventually happens, there's so much advantage in it because what happens is there's no conflict again. Why? Because we leave this here. It doesn't come with us. That thing that pulled us back, that got us to try to break the laws. Even when we were Christian, we tried to do something good. We set out in the beginning of the day and we ended up failing miserably and having to repent. When we die, we leave that part behind. We go to heaven, there's no conflict because now we're unified again. Whatever we're thinking, however God has the mind in heaven, our personality, we just don't sin anymore. And that's an awesome thing. So look at the three stages. The person who is born into this world and never receives Christ, they never really have a conflict until they die. Then, unfortunately, they have to be judged for their sins because the law is going to condemn them, right? So we may struggle for a while, but eventually when the Lord either returns for us or we pass, there's no struggle anymore. So if you ever thought, all right, well, what if I'm in heaven and I get a bad thought? Well, what if I'm in heaven and God doesn't like me? Well, what if I'm one of the black sheep in heaven? It doesn't work like that, (laughs) We're all good. (laughs) So, again, nothing escapes his knowledge. Very important. Paul's not saying, if you're struggling with sin in your life, to just throw your hands up and say, oh, it's because I have this body of death, nothing I can do. He is actively trying to fight, as you can see, to please God and to do the right thing, although there are times that it doesn't happen. So... Don't think that he's saying, just throw your hands up and stop fighting. We're fighting the good fight of faith, aren't we? We're in a spiritual battle, aren't we? But we just sit on the side and do nothing? No, it's not what he's saying. So, verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know what I'm glad? Is that he didn't leave this open-ended. He answered the question. Thank God, it's Jesus Christ. He's the answer to all this. And that if we are in Christ, even when we do sin, there's no condemnation. A sinner never has to worry, oops, what if I woke up after 10 years and God says, I don't like you anymore, down. It doesn't work like that. But if there's anything else, if there's anything I want to teach you this morning, the the title of the message is Know Yourself. 
that I pray that as we go through the scripture and we look at Paul's life and we look at all the great things that he did, that we could also look within. That deep down inside we could know ourselves a little bit better. The good news is that God knows you. God knows me. He knows that we're sinners. And he's provided a way to escape death and punishment and condemnation, and that's through Jesus Christ. And the cool thing is the law had to get us to the point, again, if a Christian is not armed with this information and, some, and you say to somebody, you need Jesus, and they go, why do I need Jesus? Do you know the answer to that question? Well, let's go through the Ten Commandments. That's what Ray Comfort does. He does street preaching, one by one by one, a little bit of the Sermon on the Mount. What are you thinking? Have you ever done this? Well, that makes you, you lied, it makes you a liar. Have you ever stole? Have you ever thought of hurting somebody? It makes you a murderer, according to the law. Then we see the void. Then we see the need for the Savior. So this teaching gives the whys to those questions. The question is, where do you stand? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.